Dane, I'll tell you what, one thing that was always at my fingertips throughout the entire Tour de France was our Velo News official Tour de France guide. Yeah, that thing has the stage profiles, it's got lists of contenders, I mean, it's really useful. Definitely. And for you guys listening out there, if you want to get your own Velo News Tour de France guide for 2019 for next year's tour, you got to just subscribe right now. You'll get all issues of Velo News Magazine, plus the Tour de France guide, plus a buyer's guide. And the best part of it all is that right now there's a promotion going on where you can get a free book through VeloPress when you subscribe to VeloNews and you'll get that Tour de France guide. So you just go to the VeloPress website, all the info is there. I'm going to put a link in the description of this show and you can link directly to this from there, but you can get a really cool book, Goggles and Dust. It's um, some old school images from Cycling's Glory Days, really fun stuff. So get that subscription, make sure you get that 2019 Tour de France guide. On with the show. It's the Velo News Podcast. I'm Spencer Paulison here with Dane Cash here in Boulder, Colorado, just doing our usual Colorado thing. Meanwhile, the biggest race of the year just wrapped up on Sunday, Dane. Yeah. After 21 stages, 23 total days, I guess you throw the two rest days in there. And that is the Tour de France, of course. Tour de France now in the books. The 2018 tour is over and uh, we've got some awesome interviews for this particular podcast. This podcast actually is going to be kind of like an audio journal from the Champs-Élysées, our dear, sweet friend, Fred Dreyer, who happens to be our boss. He was on the Champs, and he talked to all kinds of interesting riders, people on the scene, and um, we're going to throw to those in just a little bit. But first off, Dane, I think you and I, we got to hash it out a little bit and talk about this tour from a sort of bird's-eye view now that we're at the end of these 21 days of racing. Uh, take me through some of your highlights and some of your lowlights from this tour, Dane. Yeah, for sure. Uh, for me, the, the biggest highlights are in the, the GC battle. I mean, I know we saw a Sky Rider win, Garrett Thomas, a lot of people saying, oh, another Sky Rider, but just the fact that it was a different Sky Rider, that alone, I mean, that's that was exciting that we got some suspense. We didn't know who was gonna win up until the last couple of days, really. Uh, we saw a couple of riders really emerge obviously Garen Thomas being one of them, but you know, Tom Dumoulin coming to the tour and having a great ride after doing the Giro, that was exciting to watch. And you never really knew in those last couple of days whether Dumoulin or Froome were gonna crack after the Giro, whether Thomas was gonna crack going into the third week of a Grand Tour. Ditto for Primoz Roglic. There was plenty of excitement, and I, I feel like that hasn't always been the case at Tours the last couple of years. Lots of storylines in that week too about whether or not there was gonna be an intra-team rivalry, mm. a team sky between Garrett Thomas and Chris Froome. And they proved that they can get along just fine and they're they're good mates, you know? Yeah, they did a really good job of managing that one and a much better job, I think, than uh, some people might have expected after the Froome-Wiggins uh, acrimony. I think it's a good opportunity to use that word, a little little used word right there. Absolutely. And yeah. yeah, and not to get too far off track, but I did really enjoy how <laughs> Wiggins trolled Froome on Monday saying that Garrett Thomas could win more tours de France. Yeah. Just brutal. Oof. Oh, no Thanks, love Brad. loss between those guys. Uh, I agree with you on those points, Dane. Another big highlight for me, I would say, was watching that Roubaix stage and seeing John Degenkolb win on the cobbles after just several years of struggling with that injury from getting hit by a car while he was training with his former team, the Giant Alpecin team. Really, really long road to recovery for him, and it was really satisfying. And he outsprinted Greg Van Avermet, no less, which is you know the the Roubaix champ from the year before, and that's that's legit. So 
kudos to John Dagenkolb for a big win there. Yeah, I feel like if you look at the stage winners generally, there's a lot of good storylines there. I mean, I think we saw really the turnover of the sprinters. Indeed, Which yes. we've been expecting for a couple of years. People have been talking about Gaviria and Grunewagen finally coming up and defeating guys like Kittle and Cav, and they definitely did it this year. Right up until the point where they all, you know, left the race because they couldn't hack it in the Alps. But at least they were able to show themselves before they got there. Definitely. And that's a major low light for me is this, this stupid time cut. Come on. I mean, yes, I get that you have to have them finish within a certain time cut. But let's face it, it's just an arbitrary time cut. Yeah. There's no reason why it's the certain percentage that it is or isn't. And honestly, like we've, we heard tell that on one of the stages, uh, the, the, the ASO, the race organizers actually changed the time cut midway through, which right. is... It's so dumb. Like, just let the sprinters finish. They're gonna slog. They're gonna slog through it. It'll it'll be a tough race for them, no matter what. I want to see a showdown on the Champs Elysees, uh, and you know, related low light for me, just the Champs Elysees sprint, just not being the star-studded matchup that it should be. It yeah. just it just was a little bit. Uh, it fell flat a little. We all like seeing Alexander Kristoff win. I guess, um, it, you know, he, he's, he's had a long road to kind of get back to winning form too. Similar to Degenkolb, not necessarily with a crash, but he, you know, Flanders winner, uh, Milan San Remo winner, and then kind of went off the radar. Yeah. But seems like he's back, I guess. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Can't tell because no one was there to sprint against them. Yeah. I mean, if they're going to put these flat stages in here, which people are going to grumble about anyway, you might as well at least have the best sprinters going up against each other on those flat days. But speaking of stage hunters, a guy who was doing his thing on some not so flat stages, got to give some some props to Julian Alaphilippe. I agree. Julian Alaphilippe won my heart this race. He's he's my favorite French racer now, I got to say. Julian yeah. Alaphilippe, awesome. Constantly on the attack. Really did, did the uh, polka dot jersey justice. I mean, sometimes you see a guy get some polka dot points early on in like an intermediate stage and then fade back into the peloton and never to be seen again, really. But Alaphilippe comes in with two stage wins. He was up there in the breakaway. It seemed like every single day, constantly putting pressure on people. That was cool to watch. Real panache, real panache. Uh, I'm going to say a low light was just the, the proliferation of these crashes. So mm. many people crashing. Um, some of them getting knocked out of the tour because of crashes. I'm thinking Rigo Berto Uran having crashed on the cobblestones. The, the Vincenzo Nibali crash is really the low the total low light of the tour for me because that was a fan causing a crash mm. stupid mistake you got your camera strap hanging out it hooks nibbly's bar breaks a vertebra and um just like that we lose one of the most aggressive riders in the race and who knows how it would have played out on some of these pyrenean stages where to me like that was that would be perfect terrain for nibbly to launch an attack yeah a lot of people complained about how some of the pyrenean stages were controlled well I mean, that that probably didn't help that we didn't have Vincenzo Nibali. Exactly. They didn't have Richie Port there. He crashed as well, stage nine. I mean, there were just some some GC guys that weren't there to factor. Can we still call Richie Port a GC guy? <laughs> For I mean, three-week races, maybe. Mm. Like, we'll find out at the Vuelta, which comes up in just a month here, Spencer. Right, I guess he's going to the Vuelta. <laughs> um, God, it's, it's like, it's unbelievable with yeah. Richie Port. How does this keep happening? And, like, when are we going to finally write him off as just not actually being legit because he just can't make it to the finish in these these three-week races i don't get it yeah well the poor guy is already i think what's he 33 now so there's only so much time left anyway for him to win the gc at a at a grand tour so uh, we may have that question answered for us sooner or later yeah but. well speaking of that uh, speaking of guys who are getting into their 30s uh Garen Thomas, is mm. is this a one-off? Is this a Wiggins? Is this just a? Is he ever going to be on a Grand Tour podium again after this? I I, I do wonder that because you know yeah. his, his his role is often as the super domestique, and um, you know I, I forget how old he is thirty three maybe thirty two yeah, yeah. thirty two okay so he maybe has a few years left at his peak form but uh, 
I, I just am curious. I, I, I like him. I like the guy. I'd like to see oh, him be a too. contender. But yeah. if he's on Team Sky, it's going to be a little hard to find room in the in the stable, so to speak. Right. I mean, he was given the leadership role of the Giro last year and then, of course, had his crash there, which was largely caused by a poorly parked uh, police vehicle, which is a huge bummer, obviously. But he may get his – even if he stays at Sky, he may get his chances in the Giro or the Vuelta. I don't know that they'll give him tour leadership next year if Froome doesn't ride the Giro. No way. Uh, but no yeah, way, I think yeah. so. It's largely going to come down to whether he stays at Sky or not, which is a real question mark. And then, yeah, even if he doesn't, 32, eh, who knows? Yeah, and I, I really don't see him winning a Giro or a Welta because he's not quite as explosive to me. He's the type of guy who's benefited in this tour from Sky's grinding tempo in these high mountains and um, also being able to put together a good, a good time trial. Plus... You know, Egon Bernal is going to be knocking on that door soon enough with the, I mean, he, what, he finished like 15th despite being a domestique for pretty much the whole race. And yeah, that's pretty impressive. So. I will be interested to see. He really did not, I mean, the way he rode that first week was not not what I wanted to see. If, right. I, if, if I'm wanting to see him become a true GC contender, you can't be getting in trouble like he did. Can't be getting caught in crashes, having mistakes, crashing into the back of the team car. Come ooh, on. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> that was one of the ultimate clips from this tour is Egan Bernal crashing into the back of the team car. He was fine. Just full okay. endo. I mean, he's he okay, yeah. but, but it was a really terrific endo. And yeah. That's not, you can't be going into a GC race thinking no. you'd have a shot if you're going to do that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, what, what, what else? We got, uh, we got some other GC guys who I think uh, maybe have potential. Uh, I, oh, Roglic, I th- for sure. Yeah, I, we, we got to talk about Roglic. Now, you're, you're a pro Roglic, aren't you? Well, I, I do. I just like that he has a very balanced skill set. I, mean, I like that he's a ski jumper. Well, I, I actually didn't know that. Can we, can we <laughs> actually maybe expound on Just kidding. Uh, with Roglic, although he didn't really show it in this tour so much, I mean, he was okay in the final time trial, but we expected a lot more. Uh, he is a really good time trialist, though, and a very good climber. I mean, he was silver medalist at Worlds in the TT, and that is apparently, that's what it takes to be a, a Grand Tour contender in this era. If you look at the top four riders in this Tour de France, we talked about this. We have Garen Thomas, Tom Dumoulin, Chris Froome, Primoz Roglic. All those guys are ace time trialists. So Roglic has apparently what it takes and it was a bit of a surprise that he was uh, so high up there in the third week. So that's, I mean, that's really promising for Lotto NL, which is a team that, you know, two years ago, I look at this roster and it's like, ooh, oh, Lotto yeah. NL, how are they, they sticking the, around to the world tour? They were the Cleveland Bears of the world tour when yeah. they first came out with that yellow kit, man. <laughs> I'll tell you what, Primoz Roglic is a, he's an enigma to me because, God, I loved watching him win that stage 19, that final Pyrenean day. That was masterful, coming off the top of the obisk and outriding the rest of the guys in the descent, yeah. soloing to the win. Uh, and he won the tour stage last year in a similar fashion. But that time trial, man, mm. I think he's kind of a hot fraud when it comes to a, being a GC contender. I, I don't think he can hang. If you come into a, a, the final time trial, Tour de France, you got, a, you got a spot on the podium potentially in hand, and you fall back you know, outside of the podium, to me that's like serious red flag warning sign as mm. far as whether this guy is a legit GC contender for a three-week race because... Ugh, I'm going to give him a little more time. He's yeah, his first time being a GC contender. Yeah, but man, like that's really a bad sign if you can't put it together. And for someone who, like you say, is supposed to be a great yeah. time trial rider. Yeah. But um, all right, Dane, well, we got to get going here. We want to get to these interviews that Fred had for us from the Champs-Élysées. But let's just let's just right off the top say, like, you know, 
good tour, bad tour, okay tour. Yeah. I'd a say fan's it, perspective, a fan's perspective. I feel like it was a good tour, like a B kind of tour for yeah, me. Yeah, okay. I mean, the, the fact that we got a different winner from the, what we've gotten the last couple of years, the fact that there was some uncertainty going in the final week, and yeah, we talked about it. It doesn't get talked about enough because there's all this focus on the GC race and all the storylines of the GC, but a lot of good stage storylines. Degan Cole, that was a great storyline. That was awesome. I mean, Julian Alaphilippe wins some stages. They made a lot of stages interesting that might otherwise have been a little less so. So, yeah, I'll give it a, a decent tour kind of rating. I agree. I would say along those lines, similar, probably B or so. Last year's tour, exciting in the sense that there was a narrow margin of victory, but maybe not so exciting in terms of there just not being as much sort of anticipation that something might change in that yeah, last week. Right, it, right. room was fully in control. Certainly this tour way, way better in my mind than 2016 or even 2015, both of which were Froom was absolutely dominant, totally imperious. So yeah, it's it's cool. Garen Thomas cracks me up, seems like a good dude. Mike drop on the podium of Champs-Élysées. Mm. Just yeah. baller move, a really. Plus. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Um, so here we go. We got Fred with a bunch of interviews for us. Listen, Fred had quite a time getting up to Paris from the time trial down near uh, Biarritz, which is about as far away from Paris as you can get in France. There was a fire at a train station or something, and he had to do like a planes, trains, and automobiles type uh, transfer to get all the way up to Paris. Barely made it in time for the finish on the Champs, but he hustled as he always does and got us a bunch of great grabs. I'm gonna hear from Tom Scoinch. He's a writer for Trek Segafredo. He wore the polka dot jersey for a little while in the first week. He actually is based in the US. And uh, he's a Latvian. Uh, and then we're also here from Lawson Craddock, who's the Lantern Rouge of this Tour de France, last place finisher. But that, you know, he, he is a well-deserving finisher, I'll tell you what, because he made it through with a broken shoulder blade. Plus, that's a prestigious kind of honor to be the Lantern Rouge, actually. A lot of guys back in the day would sort of race each other to be last because it's so, I know prestige sounds like a weird word, but it is. And so, you know, chapeau to Lawson Craddock for pulling that off. I, yeah, I don't think he tried to be in that position. I don't think so either. But, um, I don't think so either. We're, we're impressed that he finished. He raised a lot of money for the Houston Velodrome, uh, which, uh, you know, I think he's still got a fundraising page up for that. You can check it out. It's on his Twitter. Uh, we also hear from Matthew Heyman. And uh, before that, Rory Sutherland. Rory Sutherland is a, uh, he's a veteran pro cyclist, but he actually, this is his first tour finish, which yeah. is kind of a little weird. You wouldn't have thought it would take him so long to get to the tour. After that, as I said, Matthew Heyman, who rode for Mitchell, rode for Mitchell and Scott, riding for uh, the Yates. Uh, whichever Yates it was. Adam Yates, right? Yeah. It was Adam. <laughs> it was Adam Yates. <laughs> and so Fred talks to talks to Matthew Heyman about what it's like to finish, and uh, he heard from him pretty much right as he crossed the line, the emotion of finishing, and unfortunately a little bit about how the team's goals fell short, this Tour de France uh, with Yates uh, not really having a shot at the GC. And uh, we also hear from a ghost of Tour de France past, Andy Schleck, walking down the Champs-Élysées with Fred. And Schleck talks a little about what it's like to win a tour, but not actually be on the top of mm, the podium. Yeah. If you remember that famous episode. And lastly, of course, we have to hear from Alexander Kristoff, the man of the hour, who won stage 21 on the Champs. And finally, we'll close out with the Welsh national anthem sung outside the team Sky Bus in on in honor of uh, Garen Thomas, the first Welsh Tour de France winner ever. So here we are, Fred Dreyer straight coming to you straight from the Champs Elysees in France. I was still better than most or better than the last 20 guys so I was never really in trouble trouble but for sure there's been a couple of days where I wish I uh, I was feeling a bit better do you feel like you're gonna come out of this race and this uh, whole experience like having grown gotten stronger as a rider 
Yeah, for sure. Like, I'm uh, definitely one of the least experienced guys in this tour. Uh, Bernal is obviously doing his first, but this is only my second Grand Tour. And uh, there's not a lot of guys like from the team. I'm the one with least Grand Tour experience. And uh, for sure there's not that many guys that have done that this is the only, the second tour, you know? So uh, I'll definitely, definitely grow and uh, maybe extend that fuse a little bit longer. What can you say about the heightened level of media attention, stress within the team? Uh, how is that different with this race compared to the other Grand Tour you've done? The cool thing about us is uh, obviously I've noticed that uh, my uh, annoyance level has grown during the three weeks, but the cool thing is that within the team we've never had any like stupid misunderstandings and it's always fun at the dinner table and uh, even with the staff there's not been any hiccups and as long as the vibe in the team is nice that at least even if you see guys in the peloton you see every day and you're already a little bit annoyed just seeing them then when you go back to the hotel or when you're back on the bus during the transfers you never you're never looking at your teammate and going ah oh, fuck this guy you know so that's been really cool and i think that's what keeps us uh keeps us smiling on the team you know i've noticed in this year's tour de france there's been a lot of riders well not a lot but some riders who have been updating their social media, tweeting at people, like making an effort to have that social media connection and communication going with their followers and their fans. I'd say you're uh, one of the riders who's, who's been doing that. Why do that and what's it been like for you doing that? Uh, you definitely just want to engage the fans a little bit more. It's, uh, it's already a sport that the fans can approach you pretty easy and uh, come see you, but I think that's one of the cool things about cycling is that on a Sunday in your local coffee shop, okay, maybe not, not if you're living in uh, some very remote place, but you can always bump into a pro and uh, you can probably sit in his drive, he won't mind unless he's uh, just done a grand tour and he's super annoyed at everyone. What type of interactions have you had then online with people who know you and people who are fans of you? We've had some uh, good laughs. One of the things I've been doing is, uh, well, what I've been doing, just uh, I've tweeted every once in a while, the, tour de, the real Tour de France starts today for whatever reason, and today obviously it's the last day that uh, the GC, guy, GC can shake up a little bit, and I think uh, maybe we'll see someone uh, sli sli slip out of the top 10, and there's always been, uh, say, the first day in the Pyrenees, people say, oh yeah, that's... That's where the real Grand Tour starts because up until then, a guy that does a week-long stage race can survive and the third week is where people crack or, okay, it's the final mountain day, no one is holding back, this is where the real Tour de France starts, you know? Um, and people have enjoyed that, so that's been pretty funny. So has that been kind of like a spoof off of the, like, this is where the real Tour de France starts? Yeah, exactly. I know a lot of directors in the bus meetings, not, not our team, actually, but last year in the Vuelta, it's been like, Okay, now we're in Spain. This is where the real tour of Spain starts, you know? Or, okay, we're hitting the mountains. This is where the real Vuelta starts. Or, this is the first 50K mountaintop. This is where the real Vuelta starts. <laughs> All right, Lawson. If yesterday were tears of relief after the time trial, what was the emotion after finishing today? Ah, uh, joy. Um, 
Uh, it's been an incredibly long three weeks for me. I think for everyone, really. Uh, the Tour de France is the, you know, I think the hardest sporting event in the in, in the world. So, uh, getting through healthy is is difficult enough. Um, but I'm really proud of the work that that I did uh, to get to the finish. Um, not only during the race, but before the race, so that preparation by you know the entire team as well. Um, uh, it, was, it was a big fight for sure. Uh, the race didn't go the way we wanted to or expected to with uh, with Rigo's injuries, unfortunately. But I think everyone showed fight until the absolute bitter end. You know, every day since since Rigo did go home, we we were animating the race and, and we we're really a part of it. So I think that's something that all of us can look back on and be proud of. So your story of riding with your injuries really captured the imagination and made you the target of a lot of media. Not the target, the center of a lot of media. You know, you're a guy who came in here as kind of a worker bee for the team and you had this spotlight thrust on you. How did you deal with the extra media attention and uh, you know, was that exhausting, demanding? How was it having reporters chase after you every day? Uh, I mean, it was definitely not the, the tour I expected coming into the race. Uh, I mean, the team did such a great job of keeping me focused uh, on, the, on the task at hand. And, and ultimately, it was, it was up to me, too, to, to know that I'm, I was here to, to race my bike and I was here to help the team out in whatever way I could. For me, it was really mentally difficult to not be at my best, to, to do what I came here to do. Um, that was one of the most challenging aspects of the tour for me. Um, so, I mean, uh, it's... Like I said before, it's not the tour we, we expected, but you know, I think there's a lot to be built off. I think we can take a lot going forward, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to coming back in the future and, and having a, a bit different race. Had you not had the in injury, what do you think you could have done in this tour? I don't think I could have uh, helped raise $150,000 for the Outkick Velodrome. And I think that being a part of that makes me more proud than anything I could have done in this bike race. And that's including uh, finishing in yellow in, in Paris. Uh, you know, it's, you know, for me, that, that's kind of what it's all about. It's, it's about passing on the, the love of the sport. Um, you don't have to race the Tour de France to enjoy, enjoy life on two wheels. Um, and, and, and whatever I can do to, to help share that, that passion uh, with, with the next generation, you know, it's something that like I'll, I'm very excited to do, and I'll, I'll jump at the chance to do that. So I think, uh, yeah, I can be really, really proud to be kind of the, the middleman in that. Uh, yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right, I got Rory Sutherland right now. Rory, you just finished your first Tour de France. But not really. Yeah, almost not finished. Yet. <laughs> One more stage. I'm curious, what are some lessons you have learned about this race, cycling in general, from, uh, from your first go-around? From the first tour, honestly, not not many lessons from the tour because, in the end of the day, even though it's uh, you know the biggest cycling sporting event in the world, it's it's as hard as the other Grand Tours I've done. You know, I've done I've done yesterday was a brutal stage for everyone, but I've done harder stages in the Giro. So it's like, what do you learn from it? You learn that the first you know the first week people are, are nuts. Basically, in the tour, the stress the stress levels begin at like 80, 90 kilometers to go. Like everybody wants to be at the front and the first week you just saw people falling off left, right and center and that's, I don't want to put it all on the young guys but uh, 
the new generation of guys. It's it's not about a lack of respect. It's about it's just a different way of racing. You know, racing adapts and changes. And I think we've seen this tour a few people, uh, including a guy that's clad in green, that uh, maybe you should uh, be careful when you overestimate what you can do. What about the stress level off the bike? Media, fans, all this attention, all this energy. Did that feel uh, any different to you from a different Grand Tour? Definitely. I think you can see with how many, how much press is here, how much worldwide press, and then, you know, the Giro and the and the, the Vuelta that, you know, it's probably like 10% or 20% of that. Uh, so it's obviously huge, you know. It's these, these silly little things, like it takes you... What should be half an hour to get to the start takes you an hour and a half, you know, just because you've got to get through all the people and all the, the people out on the road and the, the fans and supporters. Uh, so that's been, been super, super cool. And uh, no, that's the big thing, you know, the media, the media influence is, is huge and, and, uh, and the fans are everywhere. So you guys had a guy up there with Dan. I mean, he was going for the win every, uh, you know, in a lot of these stages. How did you guys um, control that stress internally? How, uh, how did you see Dan um, work through the stress and the obligations uh, internally? Well, I think you've seen through all the interviews with Dan in this tour anyway that he's very, he's very to the point and he's been very relaxed about everything, even with crashes and everything. And, you know, it's... It's a mentality we've gone into to this tour with myself, with him, with Alex Kristoff and the group we've got, is that it is just a bike race, you know, and, and we're going to have good days and we're going to have bad days and we're going to go through it, but we're going to have fun when we're doing it, you know. We're going we're gonna to suffer some days and we're going to do our job and we're going to take it very seriously, but at the same time with a grain of salt to enjoy the experience as you go through. It doesn't have to be, you know, four weeks of, you know, eat, sleep and ride your bike. You know, we can we can laugh at the dinner table, all that kind of stuff, and that's super important. Uh, Rory, what was it like? Uh, this is your first time racing uh, against the Sky Machine. What was your impression of just kind of race racing against Deep Sky when they're pulling over the top of this cold? It's the same as every other race, you know. It's a. I think I, I saw a, when people were asking about Sky, one of the the directors and one of the teams said like. You know, of course, everybody is jealous of what they're doing. Uh, when you go through the pay packet from front to back, you see a big difference in other teams. Is that right or wrong? It's not wrong. There are no rules upon it. They've got more money. Doesn't mean they're going to race better, but you know, they're obviously doing a good job and doing it doing it properly. And uh, you know, that's that's the way racing has become now. Is it intimidating at all? Like I think Dan Martin said, everyone's afraid to even attack teams. I think they try. I think they try to make. I think there's little tricks in there to, that they try to make it intimidating. But uh, I'm an old fox, man. I'm, I've seen it, seen it all before. I'm not really intimidated by many people. Uh, you know, there's a time and a place to do things, and and Dan's definitely not intimidated by any of me there. So. What's your take on some people accuse, not accuse, but suggest that Sky is like taking away the excitement of the Tour de France? And you raced it this year, and it didn't uh, lose any luster for you in terms of but the what, races you've done. But what's the goal of the whole race? Is it to make the race as riders? Is it the is it the goal to make the race exciting, or is it the goal to win the race? And if the goal is to win the race, then you do pretty much everything you can to win the race. You know why we're not. I know it sounds really weird, but we're not playing to the fans, we're not playing to the press, we're not playing to make it exciting. 
the goal is to win. If you want to make it exciting, then yeah, you can you can go and do that, but you're going to waste your energy. You know, that is, I think that's what they've done, and everyone says it's boring, but at the end of the day, who wins the Tour de France? You know, or who has it? It's effective, you know, and that's what the sponsors want to see. That's what your own sponsor wants to see. It's maybe not what the press wants to see. It's everybody loves the underdogs. I think everybody wants to see, you know, even today, everyone would love to see Dumoulin or, or Roglic get over them. As, as good a guy as, as Garand is, and he really is, he's a, a fantastic guy, uh, everybody wants to beat the juggernaut, you know, and so there's, there's definitely a jealousy behind that of what they do. And, uh, yeah, what are they going to do? Do something, run the race differently to make give them less chance of a win to to win. The grid system, have them start with a ten minute no. handicap. <laughs> yeah, but that's also not fair. So it's like, yeah, there's no. Everyone has to adapt. It's cycling, you know. People can call it boring, but cycling evolves. And the the older riders like myself, we have to evolve with that too. You know, you can't expect things to always be like it was ten years ago. You can't expect. You know, when I did the Giro in 2005, my first year, there was a groupetta, there was not even a groupetta, there was the sprinter stopped us at the bottom of the first climb and we had to ride up slowly, you know, so that everyone could stay in the race. It's different now, and that's just the way it is. It's not better, it's not worse, it's just different. Um, when did you have a first sense that Garrett Thomas could win this tour? Was there a In day? the Dauphiné. Oh, okay, there you go. Yeah. I said it to Dan, we were rooming together, and I said, I said to him, Garrett will win the tour, you know, and I, I could be wrong, everything can happen, of course, but... Just the way that he looked and the and the calmness and you know the kind of person he is and uh, I think I think everyone all the peloton as much as like I said people would like to see the underdogs win I think everybody's really happy to see Garrett win yeah. as well. Do you think it's the end of the Froome era or you no, think Chris Froome wins in him? He's got he's obviously got the passion and the and the form to do it and it's about picking priorities every year and and deciding what you want to go for and you know the guy won the Giro you know he's won the tour before but uh but Garrett's obviously the better rider right at this minute and you know last year he wasn't so it could change next year and you guys come up and guys change what's it mean for you personally Roy just to get this tour uh check that box off I mean it's kind of the Super Bowl of uh every uh for every cyclist you know and I was thinking about that I've been thinking about that all the way through you know there's a lot of stresses coming into it as well because you don't know what to expect it's kind of the it's not with cycling it's with life it's the fear of the unknown is a, is a scary thing and it's one thing that I've never done before so I was like oh shit what's this going to be like I don't know and that's actually more frightening than the actual event once you get in there and you get the first stage done I was like oh it's a bike race like every other bike race it's just got more you know more press and like I said more more importance in 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 the world media and you as a rider uh but what was interesting I've been talking a lot with Dan about it the last little while I was like you know once I got realized I was kind of confident that I could get through it and confident I could do my job and get through it at the same time uh it was kind of like I don't know I kind of put it maybe to something that uh, that I remember Alejandro telling me it was like when he got to the podium of the tour for him he totally chilled out you know he was like oh I've done that and now I can go to have fun and I said it to Dan in the room I was like look I don't have to come back to the tour now you know I've done it you know I've done the tour I know what it's like if I come back I come back if I don't come back I don't come back that's cool but you know before this, I was thinking maybe it was going to be the last year I was going to race, and then now I'm like, no, I'm going to have another fun year next year, and, and we'll, we'll see what happens. All right.
Actually, yeah, one last question. Yeah. And this is something I've heard from a number of people, and that's Garrett being a fairly popular guy with yeah, the yeah. Peloton. Why is that? I think because he's just a normal guy. You know, he's a normal guy with a who'll have a chat with you. Chris will too in the race, but there's a different ses- there's a different sense of uh, stress coming from Chris. And I'll probably put it back to what it was like when uh, when it was Wiggins and Froome. Wiggins had like this 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 aura to him because of who he was and what he'd done, which makes him less personable because he's kind of holds everything back a little bit because he's so in the public eye. And I think that's what's happening now as well, is that, you know, Chris is so in the moment, he's got a security guard with him, he's, you know, he's thinking about what he's doing so much and all that, and, and, and Garen's kind of just enjoying the process because it's a, it's a surprise in some sense. You know, it hasn't been like, I don't think it's been for him the, the biggest goal of the... It's been a goal, but I don't think he ever probably thought, oh, I'm going to, you know, I can win the Tour this year. Uh, and he's just, yeah, he's a really nice guy. He's a great guy in the in the peloton to all the riders, and you know, you don't hear anything bad from him, and jokes around and everything. So, like I said, I think everybody's everyone's really happy that he's winning. Not that they're unhappy that Chris is not winning, but they're just really happy to see uh, see Garrett, you know, probably possibly take the win. Matt, we're on the finish line of the Champs-Élysées after the 2018 Tour de France. Can you describe for me what the emotions typically are for this day after you finish? Uh, it's a lot. It's, uh, I think everybody gets emotional when they're tired and hungry. And uh, when you finish three weeks of racing, you're pretty tired and pretty hungry. Um, and yeah, relief as well. Um, relief, you don't have to do it again tomorrow. Um, relief that you're safe. You know, it's, it's pretty dangerous out there. You've, you've been racing on the flats, up and down mountains, and just uh, and a sense of achievement. So yeah. Do you find yourself reflecting on the last three weeks as you're coming in, uh, coming across the line? Uh, pretty much just trying to hold the wheel and not crash. Um, you know, everybody talks about you know for the for the guys who hadn't finished here last night at the dinner table. There's the horror stories of the Champs Elysees. Yeah, it's a parade for the first 40k, but the race up and down here is full on, and uh, yeah, it's still stage of Tour de France up for grabs. So it's it's real racing. So. Yeah, it was nice when the aeroplanes go over the top, but uh, after that, pretty focused on just trying to stay upright. This is a tough Tour de France for you guys. You know, you came in with a lot of ambitions for Yates. Obviously, didn't have the legs in the Alps. Yeah. There was the crash in the Pyrenees. How did you guys come together as a team to formulate new goals for the rest of the race? I mean, the, the new goals are pretty simple. Once you lose your GC guy, you go for stages, and you see team after team have that happen. And this year, it was our team. The last two years, it hasn't been, you know. Uh, the Giro, it wasn't. You know, we, we, we defended the Giro at the Giro and that was only a couple of months ago so it swings and roundabouts and yeah sure we're disappointed we came here would have could have would have two stages would have been nice we were close with two stages um, and that's just some ways how it goes and uh, pretty proud of the boys that you know it's not easy to, to focus on GC have it all disappear and then the next day you'd be trying to go and breakaways and do the opposite of what you were doing the day before um, but we gave it a go we, we didn't get anything but uh, who knows we're, it's part of the process. So Matt, educate me. How many Tour de France finishes is this for you now? Ha, a lot less than you would think. It's only my third. Yeah, I, uh, my debut was in 14 and I didn't finish it. So my first finish was probably at 37. Um, so yeah, but uh, three's enough for me, I think. What does the evening after the Champs-Élysées typically look like? What do you guys go do? Oh, there's talk about it for three weeks, how big it's going to be, and it ends up just being a 
freezer. Um, three weeks of being dehydrated and uh, being as skinny as we are. Normally two beers and we all just want to go to bed. But uh, it's been talked up for the last three weeks that we're going to paint the town red tonight. But uh, I highly doubt it. All right, Matt. Congratulations. Thanks, mate. All right, we're walking down the Champs Elysees, and I'm joined up the Champs Elysees, and I'm joined by Andy Schleck. Andy, when you're walking along this stretch of road, what uh, emotions does this uh, bring up for you? Well, actually, it's a lot better to walk them than to ride them. Uh, no, I mean, it's been a beautiful tour, and uh, I'm happy to be here. Uh, do I miss it? Yeah, a little bit, you know, this stage, but all the mountains I don't really miss. Uh, yeah, but it's great to be here. It's, uh, you know, you also see the other side of the, of the event, like the organization, everything what's behind, and uh, yeah. Everybody goes home and you know says it's a, it's a great day. What's been your role at this Tour de France? I've seen you at the starts and the finishes. What have you been uh, doing? Well, I do some. Uh, uh, I promote Skoda, so I'm the yeah ambassador for for the brand, and uh, yeah I do interviews with uh, some riders and I present the riders to our top VIP guests and yeah try to bring the sport near to the people. So Andy, your career famously ended due to injuries, you know, problems with your hip. I mean, do you ever look back on sadness with the way your career ended? Uh, any, you know, any tough feelings there? I have no hard feelings. I was scared uh, about today, you know, when I see the riders going up and down here and finishing the, finishing the race. But no, there's no hard feelings. I mean, that's been a, a great part of my life. Uh, not the best one because I have two kids and a beautiful wife. And uh, so that's the best part. But, you know, this is definitely uh, something I don't want to miss in, in my life, you know. Uh, Going up here and finishing, going to the podium, you know, and all the people, you know, cheering for you. That, that That's great. But for now, you know, I'm the one standing on the side and cheering for the others. So that's great, too. How do you view your Tour de France victory? Obviously, you weren't able to celebrate it on the Champs-Élysées, but a lot of years have gone by now. Do you view it any differently? Uh, no, not at all. I mean, uh, I can't tell you. I was... Uh, second three times I was standing on the podium as a second three times and I always celebrated very hard in the evening you know which was great and uh, now uh, I'm not part of the game anymore but you know it's uh, no I still feel uh, you're part of it yeah I know I'm part of the tour what was a typical night like out tonight after the Champs-Élysées what, what was the party like well basically you know you drink a few beers uh, in the bus and then you go to uh, the hotel you shower and you have this dinner and you drink one glass of wine and maybe another one, but then you know it's done, huh? you uh, so skinny, you know, so it goes very quick uh, now. But uh, of course, you know, um, you enjoy this and you also actually really, really enjoy to be with your loved ones, you know, your families most of the time uh, at, at the stage. So that's also a great relief. And on the other, on the other side, you know, it's, uh, you know, happiness and sadness together because, you know, you leave your team, uh, who was your family for the last uh, for the last yeah four or five weeks together you know and uh, you know next morning they all gonna be dis disappeared um, so it's quite it's for sure uh, no victory uh, at all can replace uh, the feeling you have on the Champs-Élysées when you come and you finish the tour 20 years ago the sport had doubts about it because of doping 10 years ago the sports had doubts about it because of doping even today people have questions about Chris Fruman, Salbutamol, Jiffy Bags, this, that, and the other. What's your perspective on the sports uh, evolution with the specter of doping? Well, I think you should not like, uh, you, you need to put it in another perspective, you know. People who think that uh, the riders are cheating, they shouldn't come and cheer for them. They should stay at home. Um, I believe that cycling is the cleanest sport uh, out there today. 
because you know we cycling is today the most by far uh, by far the most uh, controlled sport so uh, is there still someone cheating yeah probably yeah but that's uh, life society always people want to take a shortcut and you know those who come to the road to boo to riders or make a sign you know uh, dopers or something like like what's the purpose or, or, or why do you do that you know if they don't like it uh, they just should stay at home and uh, if you see the spectators on the road today who cheer you know who get who who, who, who get uh, emotions because you, you see uh, people suffering you see uh, all the sacrifices cycling cyclists do i think that's the perspective you should look at the sport you know all the all, all the sacrifice all the suffering all the all the talent on the road that's why why people cheer for us how clean was cycling in your era do you think I believe uh, in my area already cycling was very clean. Did you race clean? I raced clean. Andy, I really appreciate you stopping and doing this interview. Best of luck with your future ambitions. Thank you. All right. Alexander, you've just won on the Champs-Élysées. How do you describe the emotion you're feeling right now? It's a great feeling to win on Champs-Élysées because uh, yeah, we had three weeks of hard work and suffering uh, to come here and uh, to finally achieve it uh, and get a victory. It's uh, it's a special feeling, especially when it's uh, in Champs-Élysées in Paris. We've had several years of close but no victories for you at the Tour de France. Were there ever any moments when you thought, ah, maybe it's not going to happen? Yeah, I won two times, but it was two times in the same year. And uh, then I had a, actually second or third places in every edition after, but I never won. So, uh, yeah, to finally get the victory again is uh, huge. And, uh, yeah, it's a relief because I was fearing I would only get the two victories from 2014. But now I have one more. So hopefully I can get, I win again in the future. But now I just enjoy the moment and uh, will be happy to celebrate today. How do you keep yourself motivated and going with so many close calls but not a victory? For sure, uh, when you're up in the top three, you know if you're a bit lucky, you can win. And, uh, and it's just to wait for somebody else doing a mistake. And uh, now some guys did a mistake in the months not to manage to finish. So then uh, I knew I was among the fastest uh, in the start today. And uh, yeah, I just had to focus on my doing the right thing, coming in the right position and hope I still have some legs for the sprint. How does this victory rank amongst your victories in your career? It's always a hard question, but uh, for sure it's the biggest stage victory I have in uh, I rank it as the best victory in the stage race, but I think a classic I will maybe rank higher, so San Remo and, uh, and Flanders I feel still is maybe above, but uh, it's one of the best for sure. And how do you think you currently rank with the best sprinters in the peloton right now? I think still Groenewegen, in Gaviria, there's Greipel, is a few faster guys than me. But uh, yeah, I know I, when the race is hard or people are tired, I still have a, usually a good sprint. So uh, and you see today, I can I can beat them if uh, yeah. In the end of a three-week race, I am still fast. How are you going to celebrate tonight? Yeah, I hope we will have a party with the team, and uh, then maybe I see some Norwegian friends after. <laughs> I see the Norwegian friends right here. Congratulations. Thanks.